As the uh, coming of our Lord draws closer, the number of hearers and listeners to the gospel is going to decrease. Yet there's going to be a great show of religion out there in the world. The Bible says there's going to come a great falling away first, and that falling away is going to take place in a form of a religious revival with people shouting and singing and being so happy and following their church and their religion and the movements of the day and the people of God, those whom God quickens and gives new life to, that body will always be called the little flock, okay? This morning I'd like you to turn to Second Peter one more time. As I turn there, I find I've got these pictures in my Bible. I'm supposed to give him his brown. We uh, have such poor memories that sometimes that we have to tie not just a ribbon around our finger, but maybe a rope around our neck in order to remember something. So I did remember that. All right, we're in Second Peter, and I want you to turn to the third chapter. The third chapter. And we'll start reading with verse 1, and I believe we're going to read down to as far as at least verse 15. Now... I know you have read this many, many times, but it's always great to read it over again. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And that's what we're doing by reading this over again, stirring up your minds, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, 
looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Let's stop there and bow our heads just a moment. Father, we thank you for thy word thank you for this portion of thy word and we ask you to teach our hearts teach us by stirring up our minds to remembrance stir us up bring us to the forefront of the most important things the salvation of our soul the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the great judgment coming upon earth so many many things involved in these few little verses that we just read we ask thee to bless this to our hearts. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. In verse 15, it says that the long suffering of our God is salvation. Now, I'm calling this message God's perfect patience. Now, words can only do so much. They can only mean so much, and then they crash and burn. Long-suffering of God is one of those expressions that tries to express to a human heart, in a human language, why God doesn't punish sinners at once and get it all over with. Actually, God doesn't suffer at all. No matter what the situation, either with his people or with the unregenerate world, our Lord is in perfect control. How else could it be with one as almighty as the scriptures tell us in Isaiah 40 and verse 15? Isaiah 40 and verse 15. And I've got a few more scriptures right there in Isaiah 40. Forty and verse 15 says this, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Verse 17, All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. Verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is weary, and there's no searching of his understanding. Verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. Even to them that have no might, 
he increaseth strength. All right, that's the Old Testament telling you of our mighty God. Now turn to Matthew 28, 18, and you see that this mighty God, the power that he has, has been all of that is given to the man Christ Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. No, our Lord does not suffer. In fact, he is never disappointed, even in someone who appears to be a Christian and who seems to be a humble professor and then falls away turns his back upon Christ. Now the end result of their sin and rebellion is found in 1 Peter 2.8. 1 Peter 2.8 And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, so you see they're, they're in the Christian life, they're in the word, but they stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. I said God is not disappointed, and the scriptures tell us that the end result is because that's where they were appointed. Turn to Romans 9.22, see the same thing again. Romans 9.22 What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known and do it with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath, see what it says, fitted to destruction. Now this word, long-suffering, is describing the patience that God has with the sins of the elect as well as the sins of unbelievers as the Holy Spirit is calling out the elect in this era of time. There is coming a day when time will be no more and a door of mercy will be closed. When the elect and all are all in, then... God will laugh. You can't find God laughing in the scriptures except when that door of mercy is closed. Proverbs 1, verse 22. First chapter of Proverbs. Starting with verse 22. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, same as the scoffers that Peter's talking about in our scripture. And fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof, and behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, I'll make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh 
at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You see, man does have a choice, doesn't he? He has a choice to either choose the fear of the Lord or go to hell. Isn't that a great choice? Why would anybody choose not to fear the Lord? Okay. Do you see why God will laugh? All unbelievers will be reminded of the responsibility that was theirs to respond to the goodness of God to them. Now, God's goodness should lead a sinner to repentance. That's Romans 2.4. Want to take a peek at it? Romans 2.4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, we're back here in the second epistle of Peter. And uh, Peter's first epistle was written to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That's 1 Peter 1.2. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. All right, now when he starts the second epistle, the second letter, in the very first verse, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Now those whom God back in eternity that he chose and gave to Christ, he in time gives them faith as a free gift. Now everybody knows Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved by faith, okay? And not of works lest any man should boast. But people kind of think that they can work up their own faith. It's because the religious world, and particularly religious evangelists, tell people to turn their faith loose, just believe. People don't have faith, spiritual faith, until God gives it to them. And that's in Galatians 3, verse 22. Galatians 3, 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. See, it's got to be given. But before faith came or before you had a saving faith in Christ, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. That's after the Holy Spirit has worked you over. We call it Holy Spirit conviction. It's God's Spirit reproving you about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what that's about. 
Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, you see, there's a time when you don't have it and there's a time when you do. After faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. You're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Uh, we receive only that which was assigned to us by the sovereign God before the world began. All Christians are equal in their standing before God. There is an eternal salvation in the mind of God, and this is what everyone whom the Father chose in Christ had even before the foundation of the world. They had eternal life when God the Father chose them. Now, the effectual call gives God his rightful place as the prime mover in a true conversion experience. The effectual call is personal. It's something you know. And Peter says, make your calling and election sure. You go back to the time when God showed you that you were a lost sinner. Luke 19.5. Just a little example of what a personal call is. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And then Peter, Peter tells us in 2 Peter First chapter, verse 10, that you had better make sure about your calling. Okay? Look at verse 10. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Why is it in that order? Because election is God's secret business. Calling is your personal business. That's how you know about your election. I don't know how people can get this thing mixed up. They get all tangled over it because, here's the reason, they have never taken their place as a lost sinner. That's why they can't stand election. Election saves sinners. That was God's plan. You've got to be a lost sinner in order to be a found sinner. You've got to be a lost sinner in order to be a saved sinner. Okay? Now, there is nothing simple about saving faith. It comes from God. It's a very complex subject that must be studied in the light of all the revelation of God in order to conclude what is true faith? It's not enough for a person to say, I feel this, or I feel that, or I believe this, or I believe that. What they believe and what they feel is nothing. Reason corrects the senses of feeling, tasting, hearing, seeing, and feeling. That's reason. People of the world say that seeing is believing, and I have said that many a time. 
But God's people are assured that believing is seeing. Reason alone will not suffice. Faith must correct reason. Reason works in us, but not in the same sense that it does in the unregenerate. An unregenerate person will use his reasoning to try to make anything fit what he wants to believe. But faith is given to God's elect, and that faith corrects reason. In fact, it even gives you a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We will not need faith when we get to glory. Faith and hope will have served their purpose. Faith is a foretaste of reality. Faith is given to the individual when he's regenerated. Thus he is given the ability to believe, the ability to lay hold of the things of God set forth in the promises of God. Therefore our faith in God's promises is not the complete enjoyment of them, but it's a foretaste of that perfect enjoyment. What is interesting to note is that all the promises of God are recorded in the Holy Scriptures. And all the threatenings of God are recorded in the Holy Scriptures. Maybe that's one reason why they're not allowed to be read in the schools. Now it's about these promises and threatenings that the scoffers that Peter was writing about in our days are saying, where is the promise of his coming? It's 2,000 years now since the Lord returned to heaven and there's no sign of his coming back. It's with these scoffers that God is patient and not casting them into hell right now. His mercy toward earth is shown while the elect are being called in. Look at Romans 8.22. Romans 8.22. I think it's 9.22 is what I want. We've already read it, though. 9.22. What if God willing to show his wrath and make his power known and do it with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? He hasn't destroyed them. He's let unbelievers, unregenerate, live. Turn to John 8.56 just a moment. We've got a scripture there we want to talk about. Our Lord was speaking to the Jews here, and he says, Your father Abraham 
rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now, Abraham, by faith, saw the reality of God's promise of the coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years before it took place. Abraham saw it. The unsaved Jews could not understand the promises even in Christ's time. Now, John 8, 56, uh, 8, 58, I mean, and Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to cast at him. Ignorance of the Son of God closes the door to the promises of God. When he says, I am, I am is the formula for absolute timeless existence. It infuriated the Jews. They wanted to kill him. Now, God does not offer salvation to those for whom he did not die on the cross. A minister cannot offer Jesus Christ. That's not what he is to do. He's to preach Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit alone applies the salvation that Jesus Christ provided for those for whom he died. So if Abraham believed 2,000 years before the coming of Christ the first time, what's so unusual for the children of Abraham to believe in the second coming of Christ 2,000 years after? You see, in God's arithmetic, that's only two days. That was 2 Peter 3.8. We read it, didn't we? 2 Peter 3.8 says one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. That's only two days. That's not a long wait. I said for the children of Abraham, you know, we believers are called children of Abraham. I want to show that to you. It's in Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3.29. I don't want to say anything that will leave a question mark in your mind. I want you to read it. Galatians 3.29. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise, okay? Now, our Lord is coming back again, whether anybody wants to believe it or not. And the words of our Lord concerning this are precious to us. I'll give you one simple precious portion. John 14. John 14, verses 1 Two and three. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, 
there ye may be also. You know, that is blessed. I'll come again and receive you unto myself. You don't need any more promise than that. Oh, believer, you can sing to the top of your voice, the king is coming. My God is coming for me. My creator is coming back for me to give me a new body so that I can worship him aright. Oh, I'm so sinful now, so forgetful now, so polluted now. Oh, my Lord, how I want to worship thee without any hypocrisy, without any borrowed phrases that don't come from my own heart. Lord, if I could only show thee how I love thee. But I'm so limited in this sinful body of flesh. Lord Jesus, I know you're coming back to gather your bride. But I'm not excited about the others, only that you are coming to receive me. Ah, me, the lost sheep. Me, the lost coin. Me, the prodigal son, me, the lost sinner, redeemed by thy blood. That's what I'm interested in. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the most important word. Lost. You've got to be lost in order to be found. Scoff on, scoffers. Ask your questions, make fun, belittle believers, disbelieve God's word. I know my Lord Jesus is coming again to receive me unto himself. That's the reason the scripture says that God is long-suffering. Maybe because his people suffer. But he's holding back his wrath against sin until the bride is completed. In the past, the Father chose us as his own. The Son purchased us with his own blood, and the Holy Spirit regenerated us, thus enabling us to embrace the glorious gospel concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.10. 1 Corinthians 2.10 Say, how do we know these things? A lot of people don't. Well, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. In the present, right now, the Father gives us positions as the sons of God. Can you believe that? Isn't that wonderful? Look at 1 John 3, 1 and 2. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. The world is going to say you're crazy. It just can't be. No, this is it. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, and therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Isn't that great? Do you know that? Do you feel that? Can you say that? 
And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What's John saying there? He's saying when he appear, we appear with him with our new bodies. And that's kind of difficult for John to explain to people, but he says, I'll tell you what, I can't tell you exactly all about it, but we're going to be like him. Boy, that's great. The Son reveals the Father's will to us, and the Holy Spirit seals us unto the redemption of our bodies. Look at Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13 tells us we're sealed by God's Holy Spirit. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What is that? The next verse tells you what it is, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Okay, getting confused now. What's the purchased possession? All of you, body and soul. The body is not redeemed as yet. We're waiting for our new bodies. But we have the Holy Spirit indwelling our bodies until we get our new bodies. That's what it's telling you. In the future... God will receive us as perfect in Christ. The Son will inherit us as perfected. And the Holy Spirit will claim us in perfected possession. Look at Ephesians 1.14. We've already read 1.14. How about 5.27? Ephesians 5.27. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but as should be holy and without blemish. That's how God looks on us now, but we don't look on ourselves that way. But I'll tell you what, when we have our new bodies, all of us can look on each other and see us as not having spot or blemish. So wonderful. Okay. Divine election gives God's ministers courage in the preaching of the gospel. God's purpose cannot fail. Isaiah 46.10. Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God did not purpose all men to come to repentance, or else everybody would come to repentance. But look at Romans 9.18. Romans 9.18 Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. You see, it's God's business whom he saves. God is taking out of the people of the world a people for his name. God alone gives the increase. God's election sustains his ministers. God's word shall prosper. 
ministers don't have to despair if nobody comes or if nobody responds. Look at Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. And I'll give you our last scripture for the day. Our labor is not empty. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our God has great patience. We are to have patience. We know that our God is coming back. Whether scoffers make a joke about it or not, the scriptures say that the long-suffering of God is salvation. It's salvation to the us-word. It's salvation to those that Peter wrote to, to the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, to those who have like, precious faith with us. And Peter's talking about himself, one of the apostles, same type of faith. Saving faith is the same in all of God's children. I don't have any better faith than any of you do. You don't have any better faith than anybody else does. God's saving faith is equal to all. The least little bit of saving faith brings you to heaven. Isn't that great? I know none of us feel that we have great faith. I don't have great faith. I have weak faith, little faith. And yet when you read the story of Pilgrim's Progress, it was little faith that went over the River Jordan first or through death and over on the other side yelled back. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that great? That God will have mercy on poor sinners like us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing on our message this morning, talking about thy great patience, thy wonderful patience to all people, to God's elect, to the unregenerate, thy patience against sinners. It's marvelous to behold. But one day, it'll be all over. One day, when all the elect are in, when their sins are over, when it's finished, then thy wrath will flood over this earth. But still thy patience will have been marvelous to us, Word. We just thank you for not casting us into hell before thou didst save our soul. We expected it in a way. We knew that it was coming. And yet, deep down in, there was a faith. There was that trickle of faith that thou didst give us 
to lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ as our go-between, as our substitute, as our Redeemer. And we ask that he will be uppermost in our hearts and minds this very moment, throughout this day and this coming week. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You're all dismissed.